Father, we approach your throne with gladness and singleness of heart today. We come, O Lord, to this place in our service where we open the book of life and we discern from its pages instruction in righteousness. God, we know that your word is a sharp two-edged sword. We know that your word, O Lord, is a lamp and a light. And I ask you to touch that light, O Lord, and shine it in our direction today, that the word of God would become illuminated in our hearts and that we would obey from the heart that form of doctrine in your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. Charles Dickens made the statement, this is the worst of times and this is the best of times. We have greater technology, more comfort in living than we've ever had, but yet we are at a time of intense struggle. We're at a time when there's a lot of pressure. In fact, in this world, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of, in our society, there's a lot of tension and a lot of stress. God does not want that to be. God does not want us to go through that, that kind of difficulty. That's not God's doing, but God knows that it's going to happen. And God did not just come upon this event of a pandemic unawares. God knew about this long before it ever happened. And God knows when the end is. God knows the future. Amen. I don't know the future. I, I just have to trust God and lean upon God and walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And let the Lord lead the way. He will lead you in paths of righteousness, the Bible said. He will give you instruction. In fact, the Bible said if you will acknowledge him, he will direct your path. Is there anybody here would like the Lord to direct your path? Amen. Anybody that can say sometimes when I go my own way, my own path, I, I kind of mess up. Amen. But when I go the Lord's path, I always find rest and peace. 2 Corinthians 1 and 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of our lives. Are you hearing those words? Those words are from a troubled soul. Those words are, are from a, a person that is experiencing real trauma in his life. And if it were for somebody of lesser importance, I, I guess it would be of less magnitude. But this is the man that wrote over half of the New Testament that's saying this. This is the man that was the apostle to the Gentiles. This is the man that's the architect of the early church. This is the man that is the leader of the apostolic band. And he is saying we have been pressed and we've been stressed out above measure, above strength in so much that we despaired even of our lives. We didn't think we were going to make it physically. We didn't think we would live through it. Now what in the world is, is he talking about? But we had the sentence of death in our lives, in our, ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who is the resurrection. God who raises the dead. Now, if you're wanting to know what he was talking about, he may have been talking about, number one, a thorn in the flesh. Number two, he may have been talking about stone and left for dead at Lystra. It may have been his disease with his eyes, for he had a, a poor, very poor eyesight. It could have been shipwreck. It could have been beatings. It could have been imprisonment. It could have been all of those things, but it drove him to a place that he's saying that 
being a person of mission and vision is not an easy road. That there are battles to fight and there are struggles to endure and there are hardships and there are difficult times that prey upon your mind and will cause you to despair even of your own life. In other words, I think Strong's Concordance says that you get to the point you don't care whether you live or die. When you're so stressed and so tense and you're, and you're so pressed and, and, and so weary. Have you ever been tired on the inside? I said, have you ever been tired on the inside? Now, tired on the outside is common, but do you ever get tired on the inside, just tired of it all? When you've heard so much that you just don't want to hear anymore and bad news seems to be on every uh, source of information and it just seems to be a constant uh, barrage of negative and pessimistic and, and hate and enmity and strife and innuendo and rumor and all of that stuff. And you just sometimes just say, oh my, Jesus, come on and get us. You just despair of life. This is a pastor. This is a bishop. This is... This isn't an overseer. This is a person who daily struggles to preach the gospel and get the word out. He's telling me that the mission that he has, the, the, the call of God that is upon his life is, is so stressful for him. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, but we should not trust in ourselves or our own devices or feel that, that a vaccine is the only answer. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. For we labor not and we struggle not and war not against flesh and blood. No, people are not our enemies. But we struggle and we wrestle and we war against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, it's a spiritual warfare. You may say, well, Brother Jerry, it's pretty physical to me right now. Well, it is physical in a sense that we're in this world but not of this world. In a sense that the curse, all that are born of Adam's race are under that curse. That's a sense. But in a spiritual sense, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith. Why is faith so important? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. To be faithful in times of struggle and intensity is, is a, a, a priority. You see, the church has an undaunted and unquenchable faith in the great possibility of every man's salvation. And until we have that faith and latch hold of that faith, the church will neither heal the sick nor raise the dead, nor cast out devils. Without faith, to believe that God is able to do anything, to believe that nothing is impossible with God, that even in the midst of all kinds of adversity, sickness, pandemic, all kind of social problems, that you still have faith in God. You see, that's what Job's wife asked him. Do you still Retain your faith in God. Look at you. Look at what a mess you're in. Look at your home. Look at your family, your children, everyone killed, 
a great wind come against your house and all your kids were gathered together partying and, and loving one another and a great wind blew them all away and they all died. All your kids died. All your camels, all your herds, all your flocks, everything you got is dead. And now look at you sitting here with this cancerous situation. Look at your skin. It's a constant scab. And you're sitting here with a potsherd scraping yourself. Wow, look at you. Do you still have faith in God? Do you still trust Him? Do you still walk in His path? Do you still bless His name? Do you still go to His house? Do you still honor Him? Do you still have that integrity with God? Why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just chunk it all in? Why don't you just say, what's the use? What's the benefit? And just die. And with bloodshot eyes, with a blistered lips, and a tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth from fever, he says, woman, thou speakest as a foolish woman talks. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and blessed be the name of the Lord. My feet have not declined to walk in his path. I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the God of my life, he sustains me. And though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Is there anybody in this house that would like that kind of faith? Is there anybody who would like to know God in a way that no matter what happens and what's going on around you, that you're mission-minded and you realize that God has a purpose for my life and, and my heart? Do you still pray? Are there any praying people in this house? Do you still pray? Have we quit praying just because times are bad? Have we quit praying that we lost our confidence in God? Have we come to a place that we don't believe that he's able to keep us? I want to tell you, that person, happy is that person whose God is the Lord. Happy is that person who trusts in the power of his might. In fact, the Bible said the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and they are saved. The Bible tells us that the Lord is not absent, but he's present. His ear is cupped to our cry. His eye is upon the righteous. He is with us, in us, above us, around us. He is constantly with us. Don't let your faith guard down. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop being the people of God. We have the greatest of opportunities right now as a church, as Christians, because the whole reason Jesus left us here is evangelization. The whole reason that this church sits on this property is evangelization, to reach somebody and help somebody find the Lord Jesus. No, it's not a three-ring circus. It's not a wrestling four square ring for decline. No, it's not. It is a place where needy people come to find God. It's what it is. It's where you put food on the table to feed hungry people. 
It's where you take a dipper of water and offer it to thirsty people, thirsty lives. It's where you are the light that is sending out the beacon to show the way. This is the way you can find Jesus here. This is a lighthouse. It's a soul-saving station. The general overseer called just the other day, Tim Hill, and he said, Jerry, I really appreciate that lighthouse that is harvest. I appreciate the lighthouse that is harvest. Oh, praise God. I'm, I'm thankful that someone noticed that we're a lighthouse, that we're not going out of business, that we're not got a blinking light out there going soon, ending soon. No, long as this world is here, God will have a representation. As long as this generation lasts, God will have preachers and God will have churches and God will have witnesses that tell the world that Jesus saves and Jesus heals. What an opportunity we have right now to tell people Jesus is the answer. Turn to the Lord. Turn to God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. What a wonderful privilege that is. Paul said we trust in the God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. Listen to that. And death deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. He has delivered us. He does deliver, and I trust that he will yet deliver. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to celebrate the fact right now that God has delivered me. I'm going to sing spiritual songs that give praise and give glory and honor to God for saving me. He delivered me. He translated me out of the darkness into his marvelous light. He's the one that delivered me, broke the chains of darkness, and translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. He's the one that freed me from all the sin and condemnation of my past and gave me new life in Christ. He made me a new creature in Christ Jesus. And he said, I thank God for delivering me. Can anybody here say, thank God for saving me? Anybody glad God saved you? Is anybody proud to be saved? Well, he not only delivered me and saved me, but he is still right now delivering me and saving me now. Well, now, Pastor, that's going to require a little bit more to get me to clap. Because if you knew my bills and you knew my, my situation... And you know what the car needs to make it work right. And you know what, what needs to happen in my family. And you know the bills that pile up. You know, if you just knew that, you wouldn't feel like he's doing a whole lot to deliver me right now. Well, I want to tell you, while you're sitting here mulling it over, the Bible said he's already made a way. While you're shaking and trembling and wondering what you're going to do, he's already made a way. He's already said, I won't allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear, but I will with the temptation make a way for your escape. Now listen, you can sit around and mull over it if you want to, but you ought to praise God because he's made a way. You ought to say, thank God I know deliverance is on the way. Thank you, God, because not only in the past, not only in the present, but in my future, you're going to make a way for me. You're going you're to keep me by your power. 
You're going to sustain me by your grace. I'm going to go on. I'm going to make it. I'm an overcomer. I'm a winner, not a loser. I'm a victor, not a victim. I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. Glory to God. I'm on my way to deliverance right now. Any day right now, I'm on my way to deliverance. And that's to the God who is the one who raises the dead. Listen to verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us. Helping us do ministry by prayer for us. Wow, can you believe that? You also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift that is bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. What's he saying? Thank you for praying for me. It makes a difference. Thank you for praying for me because there's numbers of people in churches that I've established that continue to pray for me. Therefore, when I get on a boat, usually a storm comes and sometimes it sinks, but I always make it out. They lock me in jail and put me in prison, but there always comes a shaking and the doors fly open and I walk out. Yeah, they stone me and leave me for dead, but I always get up and go on. <laughs> Boy, I hope you're getting this. What he's saying is, there have been many, many times when my life has been in danger, many, many times because of what I do and who I do it for, there are many pitfalls and many struggles, sometimes disasters. But he delivers me and I just keep on going because you pray, because you pray. You see, Dr. Hyslop, who was the superintendent of the Bethlehem Mission in South Africa, British Medical, he says, as an alienist, as one whose whole life has been concerned with the suffering of the mind, I would stake that all hygienic measures to correct and counteract disturbed, sleep-depressed spirits and all the miserable uh, sequels from a depressed mind, I would without doubt 100% give first place to the simple habit of prayer. Are you kidding me? That a man says most of your psychiatric and psychological problems could be cured if you just pray. Why did it get so silent in here? So many times we put ourselves at a disadvantage because we don't pray. You have not because you ask not. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. When? When we pray. When we pray. A man never stands taller than when he's on his knees in prayer. When we pray, there's a information link to heaven that is reciprocal. Prayers go up and blessings come down. They used to sing a song when I was a kid, prayer bells of heaven. Oh, how sweetly they ring, bearing the message unto Jesus our King. When you are burdened down with care, 
Ring on and on, for God will answer your prayer. You mean God answers prayer? Are you sure God answers prayer, Pastor? I can guarantee you 100% God answers prayer. He doesn't give the answer you want every time because sometimes he says yes. We love it when he says yes. We love it when the answer to prayer comes the next morning after we pray. But sometimes he says no. Paul said, I prayed for that thorn in the flesh to be delivered from me. I hate it. It's a devil that's in my face every time I do something for God. He beats on me. He buffets me blow after blow after blow. My life is made miserable because of that devil that is assigned to combat me in doing things for God. I prayed three times. God, please kill that devil. God, please get that devil out of my life. And three times God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Wow. We love it when he says yes. Don't like it when he says no. Because some things he puts in our life to mature us and to grow us. Sometimes the hard times are the anvil upon which God forges a more mature us, a more experienced us, a stronger in faith us. Because face it, when you come through trials and become stronger each one, when you deal with devices and you deal with strategies that Satan has tried to use against you, you become more knowledgeable and more experienced. Amen. And the more things you go through, the stronger in faith you become. What a wonderful opportunity this is for us to grow and become more mature in faith. Well, not only does he say yes, and not only does he say no, sometimes he says wait. And we sure don't like that one. I went through the drive-thru at a fast food place with Terrell Brinson the other day. And we pulled up to the window and the lady said, would you please pull right over there? Said, we'll bring you food. He said, no, I'm not going to pull over there. This is a fast food restaurant. I'm in a fast food line. And I'm going to sit right here till you bring me my food. Boy, we've become so impatient, haven't we? We want what we want and we want it right now. We even pray, God, give me patience and give it to me now. We want what we want when we ask for it. We want an immediate response. Listen, I learned a long time ago that if you're expecting immediate response, you're going to be disappointed a lot of times. I found out a long time ago that you don't preach for an immediate response. Woo. Sometimes I walk off this pulpit and I go by Don. I said, boy, that was tough. Sometimes the Word of God's tough. Sometimes it's tough. It tells us many times what we should do and how we should act and what should be done. You see, this passage teaches us, number one, that God has delivered us from peril. He'll deliver us again. Maybe He wants to say that what happened to us 
was not important as what happened in us. You see, God can't change what's going on around you till He changes what's going on inside you. You might all turn this up a little bit, Adam. They don't act like they heard that. Number two, you've got to change your focus. Change your focus. You see, when you're looking at everything that's bad, looking at the resources that are depleted, you have very little confidence in your ability to cope. You're in despair. Then Paul says here, trust God who raises dead things. He's the God of the resurrection. He can raise something that you've given up on and give it life again. Something that you've written off and said it's never going to happen, God can make it live again. Change your focus. Lift your focus. Stop looking down and start looking up. Romans 8 and 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. Woo. The sufferings of this present time. Boy, it's hard to bury friends because of a pandemic. It's tough. I talked to Charles Blair this week down in South Georgia, and he was talking about how tough it was. He survived. He made it through. Got off the ventilator, got off the respirator, and went home. Praise God. His wife didn't make it. She died. It's tough. That's a struggle. That's a real struggle. That hurts. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be mentioned compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. You see, we've got something that we know about. We call it the, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when everything's going to be made right. The day of the Lord is when truth is going to prevail. The day of the Lord is when darkness is going to give way to light. The day of the Lord is when we shall know as we are known. The day of the Lord is when the darkness over our eyes is taken off. The day of the Lord is what we look forward to. That glory that shall be revealed in us. Celebrate this morning. I wish we could celebrate. We've got so many drab, so many self-pitying people. I wish we could have a celebration. I wish this morning that we could have a celebration. I wish we could celebrate some things. Celebrate, one, the goodness of God. Celebrate, number two, the Lordship of Christ. Celebrate, number three, that we've been delivered from the power of, of sin and the power of, of death and hell of the grave. Celebrate the day that Jesus is alive, the resurrected Savior is alive, and is present at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. That Jesus, Jesus himself, is coming again. And I look forward to that day. It could be today. Wish it was. Peter's letter of 1 Peter. Those chapters that are in there tell us about how we should go forward as people of God. Come on, Connor, and help me quit wherever you are. If you'll look at the Scriptures in 1 Peter, 
you'll see where the Lord says to us, there are things that we need to do in order to get through difficult times. Number one, he says to us, Peter is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the pilgrims, everybody that's scattered, all the Jews that are scattered, that are going through all the terrible persecution, they're being killed, they're, they're being slid down Nero's knife and Nero's chop block. They've been killed by, by Trajan and all of the Caesarian rulers for preaching the gospel. But Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope. Somebody say living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. People, verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this greatly rejoice, though now for a little while if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found a praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet you believe. You rejoice with joy inexplicable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And then he tells us that the key to every bit of this Verse chapter 2, it says, laying aside all malice. And it comes down to verse 13. He says, therefore, submit yourself. Submit yourself. Because you've been saved by grace, because you've been one to the kingdom of God, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or whether to governors it's governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praises of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Submit that we can change the world by submission. That as servants of God, as people that are endowed with a gift of the Holy Spirit to take the Word and take Jesus Christ and salvation to all people. He says one of the ways that we can win them is by submitting. Well, there are different areas where we submit. Number one, why we submit as a citizen. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. And the Bible tells me it's the will of God for me to cooperate. He says, I'm not going to win the world by being a rebel. He says, I'm not going to win the world by being problematic. I'm not going to win the world by being a rabble rouser. I'm not going to win the world by being an obstruction. We'll win the world by, he says, showing a meek and a quiet spirit. Not only do we need to submit to God's order as a citizen, 
But number two, it says, submit to God's order as a Christian. What does the Bible say? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Don't you love to go to church when the guy taking up the offering says, God told me to tell everybody in this house to give everything you've got in your pocket. Well, that'd be a sacrifice. Boy, I got your attention then. Look at these folks looking at me. That old weird look. It's kind of like the, the chicken and the pig. Said, why don't we just make a nice breakfast for the farmer? And the chicken said, yeah, that's a good idea. And the pig said, yeah, for you that's an offering. For me that's a sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. The Bible says for us to submit ourselves one to another. Come on, somebody. That we won't win the world by treating one another mean and ugly. We won't win the world if the church is so busy fighting and fussing, you won't win the world. You won't win the world if you're distracted. You won't win the world. You'll only win the world when you submit to the Lordship of Jesus and submit to what He has called us to do. I'm closing quick. And then last, he says, next chapter says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Paul said, that there are, are great ministry positions that are done by great women in the church. He talks about Dorcas. He talks about Phoebe. He talks about a businesswoman named Lydia. He talks about great people. He talks about one lady that he even called a deaconess. And the Bible said that Philip had four daughters and all of them were prophets. But here... Peter says that we'll win the world if we have strong families and if we have people that submit themselves one to another. Now, six verses, boy, it's real quiet. Six verses he gives to telling women how they ought to do. And then he only one verse tells men what they ought to do. Listen to it. You provoked me into this. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won to the Lord by the conduct of their wives. Well, isn't that great? That lost men can be won to God by a submissive wife. Boy, I'm sure the Internet's blowing up right now because whoever this is streaming to. I'm for you women. I'll, I'll just give me another minute and I'll get it well. Now, it was a real problem for women in the first century, especially in Jewish people, Jewish churches, because women didn't have the role they've got today. You guys ought to thank God that women have come a long way, baby. When this was written, 
Women was a possession. There was a law called patria potesta, which meant that if a man wanted to divorce his wife, he could just say, I divorce you, and give her a writ that says you are, consider yourself divorced. And then he just went on his merry way and married another one if he didn't like her. He just gave her a writ and said, I divorce you, here's your, here's your writ of divorcement. But a woman couldn't divorce a husband. How is a woman who is a thing owned by her husband, how is she going to win that person to the Lord? Well, I tell you what I'd do. I'd set that gentleman down and tell him how the cow chews cabbage. Well, unfortunately, that won't win him to the Lord. Well, I tell you what I'd do. I'd put something in his bread. Disrespect me and treat me like that. He wouldn't like what I fixed. That won't win him either. Long story short, families, governments, nations. The way to win people to God is not being boisterous, and not being forward, being harsh, and being mean-spirited. The way you win people to God is by being a meek and a quiet spirit submitted to God. Amen, amen, and amen. He goes six verses on the women telling you how to dress and what not to do. He doesn't tell you not to dress up. He just tells you don't dress up for the wrong reason. He don't tell you don't, don't, don't do what you need to do to put the outward adornment, get the outward adornment right. That's okay as long as you don't make that a priority and think that's what makes you special. Because he says there's an alternative that makes you special. What makes you special is not makeup and hair, and that, that's not what it is. He said what makes you special is the hidden man of the heart. What makes you special is what goes on on the inside, not on the outside. And hey, they went to the extreme with it back then. They, they put hair up and they put gold and put all kind of flowers and everything. They just decorated really, really big, trying to impress somebody. But beauty is not in outward appearance is what Peter's saying. He said, don't trust those things to rescue you. Oh, that wedding night is so good, isn't it? When that pretty bride walks down that aisle and she's got that beautiful dress on and boy, she's got everything just exactly right. And the next morning when you wake up and she doesn't have any makeup on and, and her hair is all over the place and you look at her and say, whoa, who in the world is this? How did you get in my bed? And Peter's just simply saying, don't go to the extreme trying to impress somebody and make yourself beautiful so you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel better about yourself when it happens on the inside, when something inside you gets changed by the grace of God. When you believe the, from the heart that doctrine that Jesus saves and Jesus heals, that will give you an inner beauty and will give you an inner confidence that you can't buy in a can. 
God gives you something greater and that people can be one to God not by rebelling and, and acting like you're superior to them. Now for women in that first century, they got told this, Brother Don, when they went to church. You've been elevated. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus and in the kingdom of God there is neither male nor female bond or free Greek nor Scythian we're all the same God don't look at you like you're male or female wow it would have been very easy for her to get this superiority complex and feel like now that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus now that I am a citizen of heaven now that I have got the Holy Ghost It would have been easy for her to feel like she was superior. But what Peter is saying, in marital terms, you're still submitting one to another. And he says to husbands, I, I would not be right if I didn't read the husband part of it. Seventh verse, likewise you husbands. All you guys, heads up. Likewise you husbands, dwell with them with understanding giving honor to your wife. Now them women hollered at me a while ago, you men are awful silent. Giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel. Now that doesn't mean she's not as good as. Don't read that into that. What it means is she can't run as fast as you. She can't lift as much as you. She can't do as much where she's not as strong as you, so she's the weaker physical person. Read it, get your, get your concordance out and run that reference. It doesn't mean you're a, above her and she's beneath you. It just calls her the weaker vessel because she can't lift as much as you can. How, man, how many pounds can you press? It'd be sad if she could lift more than you. Give her honor as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together. Somebody say together being heirs together. In other words, we're both saved. We're both heirs and joint heirs with Christ together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Prayer? What in the world's prayer got to do with anything? Well, it's got everything to do with everything. And if you don't honor your wife and you don't consider her an heir alongside you of the grace of God, then your prayers won't get no higher than the ceiling. You mean my prayers can be hindered by not appreciating my wife like I should? Stand up, my Lord. Y'all look like you've about endured out all this you can take. I think I've about endured all I can take. Boy, that's tough stuff when, stuff when you talk about submission, isn't it? And when you talk about the fact that people don't need to be rebellious and harsh and hateful. They need to be kind, and they need to be loving, and they need to be considerate, not only as, as a citizen and as a father, but also as a husband, as wife and wives. We ought to have that same respect for one another and honor one another. How would you feel if we had a Sunday where we honored one another? If wives, y'all get to preach the message. I'll get me some women to come up here and tell me 
how they honor their, their husbands. And I'll get me some men to come up here and get them to say how they honor their wives. What you think? Said, no, Pastor, you're taking a big chance right there. Nah, probably not. Because I know, I know that when people work together in a marriage, they can get through things that people think you can't get through. When people work together and respect one another and honor one another in a marriage, they can get through some difficulty that some folks can't get through. Boy, I just said a very wise thing right there. I hope you got that part of it. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house today. Thank you for the opportunity today to share the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, that you have submitted a plan for all of us to love and honor one another, submit to one another, and to care about one another and pray for one another. I just thank you for all of those good things, Lord, that you've done for us. Keep this church in the center of your will, O oh God, and lead us forward to, with victory in our hearts, God, with love in our hearts for every person, every person we dismiss this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.